Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hola, and welcome to a big interview from the vault. Look, all right, no fooling around. We asked our socios, our members, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to pick their favourite from season two of this long-running and, I have to say, much-loved show. You're about to hear one of the interviews they picked as the best from a selection which included international footballers representing Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Bulgaria, Argentina, England, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Here's what I had to say about this one when we recorded during season 2016-2017. The Big Interview with Walter Smith, which we recorded on the stunning grounds of Cameron House on the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond. It was going to take something special to outdo that scenery, but Walter managed just that, recalling his time spent working in McLean at Dundee United, at the epicentre of a European revolution in Scottish football, and how that iconic manager inspired loyalty in his players, as well as fear. The United side reached the semi-finals of the European Cup, but that campaign ended in Rome on a night made infamous by a crooked referee and the physical threats that Roma's players made to McLean. Walter explains how he helped the United manager escape from the tunnel unscathed, even though he himself took a few sore ones. Walter takes us to Ibrox, where he served first as an assistant to Graham Souness and, of course, later became a celebrated Rangers manager in his own right. That move to Glasgow to the club he supported as a boy introduced Walter Smith to a facet of coaching he'd never experienced at United, with Rangers able to source and buy great footballers. Walter was responsible for bringing some undeniably brilliant footballers to Ibrox, and he tells a story of how he convinced Brian Loudrup to move to Scotland and to become a Rangers legend. Another famous acquisition was 
Gaza. Walter had no trouble in selling the club to Paul Gascoigne, as he's going to explain. But the former Rangers manager recalls with some affection the various challenges which did come with managing a unique character like Gaza. Listen, enjoy. This is a special, interesting, often very funny guy. I like talking to him, but it was done for you. We are uh, sitting by the banks of Loch Lomond. It's a privilege and an honour. Quite exciting too, after a long time not seeing you. To be with Walter Smith. Walter, thank you very much indeed. I like what you've done with your house. And the garden's not looking too bad. No, no, it's uh, it quite nice actually. And um, as you can see, the, the aeroplanes outside. Yeah, uh, you keep up. They're not called biplanes, are they? Seaplanes? No, they're seaplanes. There is a seaplane about 100 metres from us. And I'd love to tell you that Walter... Uh, arrived in it, but I think we're all going to depart in it. Loch Lomond's looking fine and smart. Is this a parcel of land and a beautiful building that brings back lots and lots of memories for you? This has played a part in your career. Well, I've, uh, when I moved from Dundee United down to, uh, to Rangers, we had, uh, obviously to look at being a Glaswegian, coming back to Glasgow again. Um, well, actually, I was away in the World Cup in, in Mexico with Sir Alec Ferguson and... Uh, um, my wife was left with a chore of picking a place to live in. We live in Helensburgh and um, we decided on Helensburgh. So we live there and we've lived there for uh, that's 30 years now. Nowadays, like the, the kids' heroes as they grow up will maybe be in Munich or Milan or Barcelona or wherever. Television, the internet, doesn't matter, marketing. When you first get hit by European football, where is it? Who is it? <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, the early days, my grandfather was a... He lived with us. Uh, I lived with the family, and uh, he was um, a Rangers supporter, and he, uh, he took me to Ibrox, and I remember, you know, going and having big nights. I remember going to a game against Eintracht Frankfurt in the semi-final of uh, Cup Winners' Cup or whatever it was, way back in the, in the early Six, 60s. Yeah, yeah. Way back in the early 60s. And that was my first kind of recollection of, of going. Um, it's going to be 67. To, yeah. I, I just remember going there. Uh, the kind of... Um, the the, the vagueish memories, you know, at the present moment, because you were, you were younger. And then um, I started to go uh, and play myself. And then I signed for Dundee United in November 1966. I was going to say 96 there, which so I wish it was. It's not, it was 1966. And they, they beat Barcelona. So they did. On the two occasions, just Home on the weeks that I, I, I was leading up to me signing for them as a, as a young boy. And Terry Kerr's team there was full of boys who were good professional players. And I suppose that, that was a, uh, that was the start professionally. And then, you know, you always started to go the Celtic and Rangers reaching European finals, you know, of a Cup Winners' Cup, and Celtic winning a European Cup. And things like that brought, you know, European football into focus for a, a youngster. But I don't think that we had the in-depth knowledge of the clubs who were coming from foreign countries then, that it? we do now. You're, you know, you've, you play some European football for United. And, um, <laughs> I did do. And I, no, you did, you did. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you for a minute by minute of September 1977, but I love the fact that you, you'd go on to sign his son, but you play against Finn Loudrup for Dundee United against Copenhagen. So I want to talk about the transformation between playing Brian and 
Michael Ledrup's dad, Finn Ledrup, in Copenhagen and losing 3 0 in 77. And then Lockerin, not able to beat Lockerin in 1980. And by 1981, your coach with Jim as the manager, Dundee United 5, Borussia Mönchengladbach 0. It's the Borussia Mönchengladbach of Jupp Heinkes with Lothar Matthias playing sweeper defender. Right throughout the team, there's absolute quality. At that stage, Borussia Mönchengladbach are competitors for the German title, regularly doing well in Europe. And I'll just read it again. 5-0. Ralph Milne, Billy Kirkwood, Paul Sturt, Paul Hegarty, Eamon Bannon, you and Jim McLean. And it begins there. Describe the feeling of being able to take on big European clubs and beat them regularly. What happened? What was it like? What memories do you have of playing? Well, that, that one game, I think, more than anything else, gave Dundee United uh, a sort of more prominent position in, in European football. People sat up and, and took notice for a Scottish team out with Rangers and Celtic to win in the manner that United did that night. It was great. But Tannadice was a, 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 it's a tight pitch. It's... Um, it's a fantastic atmosphere at Tannadice and European nights. And on that night, everything about our team just seemed to click. And we played extremely well. And we got ourselves, you know, into that winning position and kept going. And uh, I must admit, it was a, a fantastic performance um, by us. You know, I think more than anything else, that that, that night, that Jim McLean's work with Dundee United, you know, I think... That night, I, I think even Jim himself, you know, could see the progression, and I, I think that meant more to him than uh, than than the result, which would, would echo around Europe as saying, you know, five nil, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, how did how how did they do that? How how did they manage to? Um, but ha- having been there as a player and then asked to go into the staff as coaching. I could see the work that Jim McLean did um, and, and the other, and it's down to him. I mean, you know, people say to me, I were a coach there and you were an assistant manager there. Yeah, you play a part, but the whole club was Jim McLean at that time. And uh, he he's the person that deserves um, more credit for United's rise than anyone. It, I, I can't go by that without asking about Jim because the Jim now, I think, is predominantly remembered for having this ferocious temper players now talk about you're smiling because I don't know a millionth of it. The players now when we went to do the big interview with uh, David Moyes, Billy McKinley was there and Billy told some stories and that was in the latter days when Jim had probably become PC the long and short is I'm saying that despite Jim being very particular very unusual and doing things that wouldn't be allowed now there must have been some vision some talent there that's that's probably now Neglected yeah. when people talk about him. That's that. That's a, the the thing. The, the managers then were probably more demanding of people than currently. You know, the demands the demands on a football just footballer just now are there for everyone. They pay massive fees for them. They get and in a lot of cases they get pay massive fees for them and things like that. But then it wasn't the case. You know, the, the managers and coaches felt they had to to be a driving force, and and that was Jim. Um, but I mean. Everybody played and played for him. So, you know, I, I, it's one of those things we were all, myself as a player, and uh, on, a, on the wrong end of, um, 
of one of his, his rants. But by the same token, there's no player who went into Dundee United uh, came out a poorer player. Every one of them enhanced their careers by having played at Dundee United. Why, because United. he taught them? Yeah, because in the circumstance, he was meticulous in terms of what he did and what he wanted specifically on the pitch. You've got to say that the players at Dundee United responded to that. I'm not saying that they enjoyed it a lot of the time. Nobody would, would enjoy it, but they enjoyed the results of it. And it got the majority of them careers that maybe yeah. they might not have had. Um, it was there. So, I mean, and there's a, a, a lot made that, you know, Sir Alec Ferguson and his, his hairdryer treatment and his things like that, and Jim McLean, people that know him. But uh, these people had players that followed them to success. Now, that's, that's the bottom line. It's not all about bowling and shouting and, and, that's and bullying and getting there. And it's that, not at all. Those stereotypes lingered far, far too yes. long. Yeah, the, the main thing is that for Scottish football, during that period, Sir Alec Ferguson, Jim McLean, Jockstein uh, and others, they, they, these people were fantastic managers and coaches, you know, at the time. And they brought a profile to Scotland that, you know, we never really had when you look at our league, you know, then Rangers, Celtic, Dundee United, Aberdeen, Hearts, uh, the, the period of the late 70s into the early 80s. There was a fantastic period football-wise for Scotland. Was there a craftiness about those three men about how to get into players' heads? There's a famous story about Jock saying to Jimmy Johnson, who hated flying, if you make sure that this team's hammered. But I've, and I've seen Sir Alex been just as shrewd about getting into the... Everybody looks back at successful people and brings specific stories. They, they, these people, um, they, you know, they're there, the leaders. They make demands on people. That's what you do when, when you've got to lead. And as I say, the one thing uh, from my own point of view, as it, was, it was a great period, uh, you know, um, in Scotland, they're the last great period of, of players and the fact that we, we had fantastic players like Sunnis and Douglas and others there that were among the best players in the world. But we also had a, a group of coaches and managers that were taking teams to be the best. I want you, I'm showing a picture that doesn't come up well on podcasts, but it's the semi-final of the European Cup. You and Jim McLean um, are beating Roma 2-0 at Tannadice. And there's a photo here um, in a game which, when I was watching it, didn't look as if the referee was neutral. That's my position. And you and Jim McLean, two two tough soldiers, you wouldn't easily be cowed, are surrounded by Roma players. Um, one of them looks as if he's about to jump you. The other one is middle fingering you. They're up close. Those three would be banned now for, I don't know, six or seven years. Leo Messi, yesterday... They've been banned for four international matches, which will see Argentina probably not qualify for the World Cup in Russia. And uh, that photo, which is iconic, represents a brutal, brutal night where not only am I talking about the fact that Roma won 3-0, there are huge suspicions over how that happened. In my case, you can speak for yourself. But European football didn't used to be Champions League and nice and safe and in, out, and everybody pats each other on the back and it's all stewarded and marshalled. Even in the, in the early 80s, there was an element of the Wild West about it. 
Give me, give me, give the, I've described that beautifully for the people listening. Tell me the background to that picture. Tell me what memories it stimulates. Uh, well, we, um, Dundee United, as I already said, Tanadice was an imposing place to, to, to go and play. The final of the European Cup at that time was going to be played in Roma Stadium. So there was a massive pressure on them. Uh, the Olympic Stadium in Rome, the venue for the final, give them a great opportunity. So when I came to Tanadice, we were sitting there, it was 0-0, half-time, and as usual, having a slight slope at Tanadice, we, we start the second half, and I remember Jim saying at half-time, look, we're doing really well, we, we played really well, he said, you know, but we've got to try and turn this into goals, and, um, you know, like to, to try and get an advantage. And, uh, you could see that Roma were a little bit rattled out of their, their normal way of, of of playing, and um, we got a couple of goals. Won the game 2-0. Um, during the game, the ball had bounced down towards our dugout. Jim had got the ball and had bounced it back to one of their players who was coming up to, to get it. The, the player said something Italian to him, but looked kind of aggressive. I couldn't understand why at the time. Uh, no, I mean, that, that was, so basically nothing happened in the game. We won the match, and afterwards they, they were accusing Dundee United of drugs and taking, you know, after the game, the president was saying, "How could they run around like that for ninety minutes, etc., etc." I didn't know that. All, all this kind of thing. When we arrived, and it was noticeable that there was a great deal of animosity towards our, our team when we were there, and they thought it was just a that was one of the things that happens, you know, they're making sure we feel as uncomfortable as possible. Waiters in the hotel were none too friendly, unlike Italian people in, in, in general. Yeah. So it was a kind of hostile atmosphere, even out with. We go to the game and obviously get into the stadium and all the rest of this stuff. Everything was hostile. The whole environment was. See, is it to get to the stadium? Does it reach the I still had stage no idea of... why this was taking place, except for the fact that I thought this was a ploy on behalf of the earth to. to Sort of Does it feel sort of threatening in any way? You know, with the, with the fans well, and the boss and that? Well, it, 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 it was, but I mean, when the game was finished, um, that was there. And I must say, the, the referee was later found to have um, taken bribes. He was found guilty of, of, of that. Yeah. So, um, did, that did, happens. I must did you say, see that during the game? No. I must say, in the game, you know, like when I was there, I don't think there was a, a decision there that I would have said, you know, turn the game or, or anything like that. You've got to remember that Roma were a really good team. But the referee, as I say, and maybe 10 years, 15 years later, got found guilty yeah. of taking bribes, not just in that game, but in a number of European games. And I couldn't understand the hostility. That picture was taken, that you showed me there, was taken um, after the game. We got into a tunnel, and the tunnel there was a tunnel, but the door to the dressing room was halfway up the tunnel, and it was only an ordinary door. That was all, and he walked up a flight of stairs into the dressing room. So it started to get kind of nasty um, as we got towards the... I mean, so Jim managed to escape up uh, and left uh, John Gardner, the reserve goalie, and I to kind of hold them off. But afterwards, what actually happened was that they, 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 had, they had... When Roma had gone back to the, the, their manager, Neil Leto, who's Swedish manager... Legend. Famed, legendary manager, had said that... on the, Altercation in the first game. The first game at the dugout between Conte and Jim McLean was um, one where um, Jim had sworn at 
and called him an Italian whatever, right? Now, I was there with him and he didn't. So they exaggerated this whole case. That was, that was European football. The stakes were high for, for both the clubs. For me, the, the, the biggest disappointment was, you know, for Jim McLean to take a, a provincial team like Dundee United to that level and have an opportunity through winning 2 0 for the first game was, a, was probably goes down as one of the biggest disappointments. Uh, if anything, maybe Jim deserved a, a day in the sun, if you like, in terms of putting them up there with the, the very best European managers of reaching a European Cup final. Before we came on the mic here, we talked about Graham, you talked about his presence. There's something extra that he's got on and off the pitch, apart from having a brilliant idea, tempo setting. When you first meet for business, when, when the possibility to go and work with him comes, what's that meeting like? What's the draw? My contention is, based on what he's told us and says regularly, is that he was a very different man then than he is now. Well, like everyone else, I mean, I, I suppose that that'd be the case. Um, I must admit, he gave me, you know, five thoroughly enjoyable years. I loved it at the time. You know, when you, you go into Rangers, I said I was a boyhood supporter, so when Graham asked me if I would come along um, with him, you know, I... I'd been 20 years at Dundee United, more or less, with a little break at Dumbarton, but I'd been nearly 20 years at Dundee United. And, uh, when I was asked to go to Rangers with Graham, it was, I, I, I mean, I had, I had something I just had to do. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why, why does he pick you? 
What are the what are the well, I think I think what happened there, he was looking for someone who had the, the knowledge of, of Scottish football, if you like, who, who was in a coaching environment already to uh, to help him out because he he had obviously been in Italy with Sampdoria for for um, what three years and you know when he asked, I accepted and um, we started down the years five years together. It was great. Um, I must admit, I thoroughly enjoyed it and. It, it was great for me because Jim McLean had a specific way of working that I was his assistant for a number of years, going on to work with Graham, who's entirely different. For example? You know, well, I mean, Graham, obviously, Jim was all coaching, yeah, everything, where Graham's Liverpool background was one of, um, you know, the whole lot, and Bob Paisley and the others there were great footballing people, very, very knowledgeable people, would put a team together and would say and make their demands on a team where this is the way we're going to play and we'll put you together and you do what you do. You know, you go and play. And they engendered a great atmosphere within the Liverpool team. This is Graham telling me, I, I, I didn't know. So he, he, you know, so he brought that uh, with him. Graham would always say to me, you know, we have to get good players in every position. That's what we do. And then we make sure that have the proper motivation and we bring the best out in them. And, you know, when you see Dundee United, Jim McLean had to rear these players and, and bring them up. We were moving into a circumstance here where you were bringing players in from other clubs and fitting them into your team. So it was a slightly um, different way of doing things. Um, That's exciting. So you get with him to go and say, there's a player, there's a fantastic player... He fits our system. He's got extra above and beyond his technical ability. Let's go sign him. Yes, that's a very heady experience to yeah, to get to try and and it brought a realization to me that you know, like at Dundee United, we were all in it together. We were all guys who had been brought up in the same environment, more or less. Uh, even the boys they brought in, like Paul Hegarty and Eamon Barnett, were very young when they came into Dundee United. So they 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 were they were brought up. And that, whereas here you were having to recreate a circumstance almost immediately, mm. as is happening in modern, more modern football now. Players moving from one club to another happens far more often now um, than than used to happen. So therefore, you know it's important that when you bring them in, in a, in a modern idiom, your player fits in to your team, and you can get that going. So that back in that period of time was what it was, and we inherited the team that hadn't been doing too well. At the time, Jock Wallace had come back for the second time. Big Jock had been brilliant in his, his first spell as a Rangers manager. had been fantastic. But symptomatic a lot of modern times, Rangers, due to the disaster, had to build their own stadium. They built the modern Ibrox, and it was fantastic. But it meant then there wasn't a great deal of, of money. Not that money was as it is at the present day, but it was still a vital factor. And... Um, it meant that Dundee United and Aberdeen um, could pay as much money as Rangers and Celtic to, to keep their players um, at their club. So that was changing a little bit through Graham. Graham obviously came in and was able to play for a year himself, which was a brilliant start for us. But um, we only brought in Chris Woods and Terry Butcher. And these were the three mainstays of a team that went on to play for the majority of, of the year. The rest of the players were all 
Colin West we brought in, but he got injured right away. And uh, he hardly played that season at all. So we really only had three new players. And um, the influence that those three players had was fantastic. Chris Woods was a great goalie. Terry Butcher and Graeme Simmons were probably um, two of the best motivators on the pitch that I've worked with. Um, they were great. They had a great presence. You know, and they showed me, on a personal basis, a, a different um, kind of view. We had Dundee United. We were all teamwork. These players had a presence on the pitch that the boys at Dundee United didn't have. They were, they were better. They took the responsibility. How can you... It's just something different. It's, 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 the, the, there's a magnetism. There's, there's a charisma. That's a, not, not just... Because we can say the obvious things about both Terry and Graham. We're both, in sporting terms, they're both very aggressive. That's a given, and it's yes. true. There's no question about that. But there's something else, and, and you've used the word leaders, but managers, there's a leadership quality. Right, there. Right. I, I don't know what words to use about to, to try and break it down and describe it, because it isn't just raw aggression. I don't think that's true at all. No, 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 no. I don't mean that. The, 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 what, I, what I mean was that they, they, they brought something to it, they brought a personality to the team. You're saying a, a, a magnetism there, right? but they brought a, their personality and, to the team. And it wasn't the manager who was imposing the personality on. Graeme Sunnis' time, Graeme's time, for him it was difficult because he was a player and a manager. But for Terry, Terry was our captain. And, you know, Terry Butcher led as a person. He led. Different for a player to lead than for a manager to lead. And he, he led as a captain. And uh, he was fantastic for us. So we had, we had only three guys in, but they, they, these... Chris was a great goalkeeper, but Terry and Graham had this personality that imposed himself on the rest of the team. And we went on to win the league um, that year, which was um, a, a remarkable turnaround. And to be fair to all the guys who were there, and some great players there, you know, David Cooper, you know, Alan, Alan McCoyst, um, you know, a young Ian Durant, you know, were, they, were, they, were, they were terrific. And Derek Ferguson was a good young player as well, and they, they were all in there learning. We had some decent pros, Cammy Fraser, and, and others in the team. Jimmy Nichol came in to play for us. You know, others with boys who. So we got our team together there, and um, as I say, Graham played all the first year, and then obviously the second year he was just reaching the end and only played um, occasional games. But it was the start of a great spell for us, I must say, and one that. Uh, that took me into a, uh, another kind of footballing world from the one I had been um, brought up in at Dundee United. When he moves on, one of the things that sticks in my mind is that um, you have another European adventure which takes you within a goal of the European Cup final. Yeah, Rangers beat Lingby, Leeds United, play against an extraordinary Marseille side. And if I'm not wrong looking at it here, if you win the last game in Group A is when the Champions League was divided differently. It's the first season of the Champions League, I reckon. Uh, after the draw in the Velodrome against Olympic Marseille, a home game against Moscow, CSKA Moscow, would see you through to what is the Champions League final, effectively. Well, the, the game, the second last game in Marseille was the game more than anything. that um, If we had won that match, we were through to the final. Guaranteed. Uh, yeah. And uh, This is a Marseille of Barthez, Bolly, Anglema, 
Desai. Yeah, the fool. Abdi Pelly, Rudy Voller, Alan Boxich, managed by the great Raymond Guttles. The thing about that was that that team, their team had just kind of started a European adventure, and we, and the first game at Ibrox, the game against Marseille, and um, we had preliminary rounds there. It was it was a different way of doing the Champions League at that time. The preliminary rounds were there, and we had to play in Copenhagen, and we we had to play. Against Leeds, and these qualified you for the sections. In the sections, there we got in the first game we played Marseille, we were well beaten. We drew, but we were well beaten. <laughs> um, they, they were terrific uh, in the night, and uh, they, were, they were a really, really good team. And we managed to score two goals late in the game to get a two each draw. They looked far better than us in that one. But as we went on in the group, we gained a lot of confidence there. And when we went back, to Marseille to play. If anybody who hasn't been there, that's that's also heated, passionate, hostile, difficult place. Hell of a stadium. It's yeah. It, it, no matter that we've listed all the players there and, and a wonderful manager, that that's a venue. And they were more nervous than we were in that one. You know, that was another game where Scottish teams have been caught up in bribery scandals and different things like that. It's uh, a Marseille side. They get stripped of the French title. In that era, for having bribed referees, same European wise, um, they get caught there. But referee was Dutch, and uh, there was no question on that night that there was no problem in that respect. Uh, you know, it wasn't that it was there; it was just galling that you know it could have happened in other games. In the context of that, the referees who refereed our, our game against Bruges, Ibrox, prior to the game against. Um, Marseille was one that um, was um, again held up with suspicion um, afterwards and the only contentious thing I would have said was in that Bruce game Mark Haley got sent off which meant that he missed the game in Marseille and that was the only thing that I could look at in the, in the game I thought that was a Polish referee contentious one sent off just before half time thank you <laughs> so the idea is that uh, it's uh, not uh, just uh, on uh, your performance it's also on little intangibles. When the game when the game's not straight, it's like how have Marseille been refereed in other games? Same game. Everybody that, that loads of other teams suffer from that. I like to forget about it now and just go and, and what happened. And on that day, we played as well in the game in Marseille as Marseille played in the game at Ibrox. We played really well in that game. Young Gary McSweegan came on and um, just about scored in the last seconds of the game. They would have taken us to the final. The draw meant that, that we had a, a circumstance where we had to uh, to go to uh, uh, Marseille, had to go to Bruges, and you've got Moscow here. We had to we played CSKA at um, at, at home. So um, there we drew 0-0 as it turned out. But Marseille only had to win the game in Bruges, and they did. So um, um, they got to the final and they won the they won the, the, the European Cup there. But it was a great campaign for us. It was um, it was one that. Um, you know, we played exceptionally well in it. We had a, a fantastic season that season. You know, we were in the midst of um, one where we, we had a, a run of games where we we went 44 matches without losing and uh, that was great, 1992-93. We had one year build-up when Graham left and I, one year then we got our team together in the second year there. It was a fantastic season for us. So, uh, and as close as a disappointing, but, um, club's been to a European Cup final or Champions League final since and and for some foreseeable time, I'd suggest um, it's a long time ago. But to be that close, 
hell of an achievement. Yes, it was great. Does it niggle? Does the, it AC niggle? Milan, the AC Milan team at the time was just on its way down. You know, they had been the, the preeminent team for a number of years, had been great, and they were just getting to that stage where they were, they weren't as good as they were, so we, we were up there. And it we was played. a winnable we final. We had improved dramatically in, in, in European terms, even over that competition. We were playing better at the end of it, European-wise, than, than we were at the start of it. Some of the greatest football that I saw in your teams, even though you've emphasised teamwork throughout, growing at United, trying to find it when you purchase at Rangers, came from individuals. There's two in particular, Loudrop and Gascoigne, who played fantastic football um, for you. I'm interested about the, the process of how you sign men like them. Let's leave wages aside. People pay big wages. Footballers are tempted by wages. That's fine. But the actual act of saying, how do I get a player like that? How do I persuade them? How do I sell them the, the package? That's, that became something that you were very successful at, very good at, and brought, I think, brought Scottish football some of its great characters. Tell me a little bit about, first of all, Brian, the how. How did you get him? What's the process? What were the ups and downs? Actually, the, the process, when you work closely with your chairman, your owner, or whatever, we were in the midst of a team that had played exceptionally well for three years when I took over. We had to change the team around from Graham and I were in the process of changing the team because the three former rule for European games was coming in. So therefore we, we had to have a circumstance change the balance. where uh, we were turning around a lot of players with a lot of English players who were obviously classed as formers. We were having to, to change that around. So when Graham left, I had to continue that process. So, um, you know, the, that team, when it changed, had three, four years of exceptional football. They played very well. And I started to say, well, you know, we've got to find something to bring an extra spark to us. So um, you look around, then all of a sudden uh, I read in a newspaper that um, Gascoigne's leaving Lazio. And I had met him on holiday the, the year before in Florida. And um, so I... Just bumped into him? Yeah, he was in the same hotel. So I, I, I I'd met him. And, uh, he didn't know who I was, but I mean, uh, yeah, that's Paul. But anyway, uh, I had my two boys with us, so they obviously knew who he was. And, <laughs> and, uh, and like um, like everybody else, he well, was wandering about a beach, they'd started to play football with the kids, and you get to know them. So I thought he would bring a, a, a much needed spark to her. And sure enough, when I sat down with the chairman, I said, Look, you know, I've got. Opportunity here. Uh, I said, Gascoigne's coming back, why don't we? And now, when you look at it now and you look at the Premiership now, but then Rangers, Celtic, you know, could still compete in that. But it was just after the middle 90s it started to go away from us in terms of finance, but we could still compete. The chairman got in touch with the president at Lazio and said, you know, we would be interested in signing Paul Gascoigne. And um, he, uh, he said, fine, OK, there's a number of English clubs want, we're going to transfer them at the end of the season, you know, so so the chairman said, well, can we speak to the player, yeah. So uh, it was the end of the season, and um, so I just got on a flight to Rome, and um, they, the people at Lazio gave me his address, and uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I, I, I stayed in the hills 
uh, outside Rome and I, I just got a taxi and went up and doorstepped him. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, I thought it was all a lot more scientific and complex than turning up and saying... No, well, it wasn't even a matter of watching Paul Gascoigne play because, I mean, he didn't play. He was injured. Uh, you know, he'd been out of a broken leg for yeah. that, most of that season. <laughs> I, I went up, chapped his door, and I heard the quad bike. I didn't know it was a quad bike at the time, but I heard this machine coming up, and the doors opened. He looked at me, and he says to me, what are you doing here? He said, uh, I said, I'm here to try and get you to come and sign for Rangers. He said, OK. <laughs> No way. He did. I'm not kidding. No joke. He said to me, uh, he said to me, okay. So, um, I, and to, to the day, I said, did the people at Lazio tell you that Rangers had been? No, no, no. He said, I, I, I didn't know you were coming. He had been going away on holiday, and I was very fortunate. I got him the day before he was going away. So um, we had an interesting day. Um, <laughs> at his place and then I, I got a car back to the airport and flew back and through his work his agents at the time wanted him to go to an English club and, but uh, he said no he said uh, I'm going to Rangers so, uh, and he stuck it out and fairness to him we eventually got him, that was great What was it like, because I've met him and um I think the world of him. You know, everybody's got their kind of stories. Just the, the fact that he came, I must admit, he, he, you know, for us, he, he needed that. And Brian Loudrop, again, we needed a player. You couldn't have two opposite types of, of guys. Brian, yeah. Brian was unhappy in, in, in Italy because the, the way of life, he, the intensity of it all and the, uh, how the fans are on top of them all the time and everywhere they go was something that um, that Brian himself didn't particularly... I didn't know that at the time, but it was there. But uh, my colleague, Archie Knox, I've been following... The, we, we used to just follow the national teams as such, you know, and go to international games. So I would do more Southern Europe. Archie would do Northern European ones. And I said to him, look, and I see that um, one of our scouts had said to us, you know, Brian Loudrop, uh, I see that he, he's free. He played for AC Milan. Mm-hmm. And his last year on loan from Fiorentina. So he was going back to Fiorentina again. He didn't want to go back. And uh, he knew he was leaving Milan. We uh, thought, well, why not? So again, uh, we got in touch with the club and asked for permission to talk to the player. So Fiorentina gave that permission. And um, so I went and met Brian, sat down, spoke to him. And he said, I want to come to Scotland to see what it's like and where we'll live. So um, he came to Helensburg that we were talking about in the early part of the interview and the, so he could enjoy this view. And um, Brian was a home-loving, quiet guy who really enjoyed it because he could come home, nobody bothered him, and he was just allowed to go and play football. He was fantastic input for us. He was great. Brian Loudrop and Paul Gascoigne brought us back to a team that badly needed it and he saw us through some you know, difficult years at, at the end to try and win nine in a row and a big thing in Scotland to, to equal Celtic's achievement. What about managing Paul? Oh, a lot a, of patience. It was always a challenge, uh, mainly in, in, in the kind of the boyish aspects of it. When you take Paul Gascoigne, you take him knowing what you're taking, no use complaining about it. You know, you've got to, you sit down and say to the rest of the guys, look lads, 
we brought him in. He'll probably get away with a bit more than the majority of the rest of you, but he'll win us football matches. It was never bad. It was always stupid things that, that, that would, it would go and annoy you. It just come into his head and it, it harmed him. And the repercussions were always left to me or, the, or whatever. I must say, uh, uh, my colleague Archie Knox handled him fantastically and kept him out my road. But no one can take away the fact that, I mean, one of the most talented footballers of, of that generation of players, instinctively talented. It's been good going back over the, the triumphs of your career. Very interesting. I feel we've touched a bit the surface of it by about 5%. So we may come back for more. You've got golf calling you away, so yeah, I've enjoyed that very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, a, a, a fabulous football career and uh, well explained. Thank you. Thanks very much, Graham. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket. Who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here end of the lesson. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.